Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Safina Society podcast, everyone. Assalamu rahmatullahi. So, uh, uh, Saad, if you ever listen to this episode, we are like two hours late because we've been trying to figure out this uh, sound system uh, for like an hour. Uh, we still didn't figure it out, so now we're listening without like the headphone monitoring. Um, so today, uh, to our listeners, both uh, Saad and uh, Ilyas are missing. Um, but the good thing is NBIC has started a vicar on Thursday <laughs> nights. So on Thursday nights, right? They, they asked for uh, Surat Al-Kahf to be recited on Thursdays. So we basically do a recitation. Everyone has their book and uh, reads a little bit. So uh, that's sort of a Ramadan warm-up. So, okay, so alhamdulillah. Yeah. So it kind of happened all of a sudden. It, it cut into our scheduling a little bit. That's why we got thrown out of whack. Elias is not feeling well, so make dua for him if you guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean. So today we actually have joining uh, us uh, Yusuf Hussein, who has been uh, a Safina Waylam student in the past. Uh, and you, you also study in. Uh, you're from Al-Salam. West Islam. Oh, yeah. Okay. Al-Salam. You're in West Windsor Masjid now, right? West Windsor Masjid. Yeah. MCG is now called. Well, it now has two names, but it's going by the Muslim Center and MCGP. So maybe it's going to consolidate into one. It was before it was IIS, which I remember Dr. Shadley one time came and said, "I thought it was ISIS." So you need to, you need to change that <laughs> yeah, name right away. <laughs> so uh, Yusuf has actually been on. Uh, few episodes now. I think he was on all the two-parter yeah. like uh, episodes. Yeah, he yeah. He's on all the Gufia episodes, I think. Uh, I'm not sure if this is going to be one of them, but we'll, no, find, no, we'll no. find out. <laughs> so uh, today's episode is um, actually going to be a little bit about education and Islamic education. And to be honest with you, my background on it is, uh, when I, when I mean Islamic education for children, actually, um, and how we learn the deen uh, yeah. from the ground up. And my knowledge on it is very you know little to none uh all i remember is in my sunday school i learned some basic books about uh the mm-hmm. dean um uh i remember learning the, the a lot of salafi texts but other than that you know not much so, i mean i'd like to t- hear both of your guys thoughts on it i know yusuf you have children in uh yeah. islamic school as well yeah. well or, i will go ahead you go start ahead, go ahead, go ahead. okay i would start right away with um noting that <clears throat> in, rather than going into the facts but noting the purpose, nature, and indicator of education that comes from the prophets is very different than any other education. So when the MBA, from whom we take our guidance, because we, we cannot secularize education, right? So all education and all knowledge fits under what I'm about to say, is that the true purpose of any piece of information that weighs whether or not this is going to um, be of use or not because the Prophet Sallallahu divided knowledge as knowledge that benefits and knowledge that doesn't benefit. So wh- what is the indicator or what is the marker that sets it apart? And that is anything that will directly or indirectly push you away from the hellfire, right? Get you to slide away from the hellfire, right? And that verse even gives it that whoever slips away from the hellfire as if like even by accident, mm. Like you did just enough that almost, uh, away, of course, right? there's no accident, right? right? But you know what I'm saying? You slipped away from the hellfire and you right. just stumbled into paradise. So that's the baseline, right? So when I say directly, I mean directly like r- religious knowledge. And indirectly, 
being anything that benefits others with the intention right of one's own salvation one's improvement of others and by the way a person doesn't always need to be thinking about themselves avoiding hellfire when they do a good deed you could be doing a good deed number one it's become a habit number two it just gives you joy to see someone benefiting see someone happy right whether it's physical or otherwise even if it's animals right so we know even the lady who the prostitute that fed a dog she never the hadith never said she made the intention with allah right to avoid hellfire but at the same time a lot of uh modernist thought is like well we shouldn't even do anything to avoid hellfire it should just be for the sake of the good and we say no allah told us to fear the fire Right, right right the point of what i'm saying is the purpose what is the purpose of knowledge? Can, if something can be employed directly or indirectly right, for otherworldly benefit, okay, that's what beneficial knowledge is. Right. Secondly, okay, the nature. So the first thing is the purpose of knowledge. The thing is the, what is the nature of knowledge? And Imam Malik has an amazing statement. He says, uh, Knowledge is not a lot of saying things, right? Rather, knowledge is a light in the heart. So the nature of knowledge is something totally different. right? If packing facts into your brain actually leads you to living a life in which your heart is darkened, right? then you don't understand knowledge. And this can happen even in Islamic knowledge. And we have many examples where sometimes the scholars and the fuqaha or we should say a scholar or a faqih, he gets the wrong, he misses the plot. Right. And he is just busy with uh, argumentation. And oftentimes it happens with jurists, muftis, it could happen with uh, theologians too. Right. Imam al-Ghazali's whole life is a testament to that. So that's with religious knowledge, let alone non, not religious knowledge. I mean, right. there are people who have PhDs in Islamic studies who are not Muslim. So I mean, that is a yeah, sign so there in you go. itself. Yeah. Right, so... Um, that that you can learn a lot of knowledge, you can know a lot of things, but you know. I mean, just still, like the the, the, the original example of Shaitan, right? How much knowledge did Shaitan yeah. have, yeah. and what has that done for him? Um, but I want so a point that you raised, Doctor Shadley, about knowledge uh, being beneficial. So one of the gaps that we see today is that a lot of people, and by the way. So I know, Moeen, you mentioned that this was with specific regard to children, but I wonder if we could just expand it to everybody, children, adults, yeah, absolutely. whoever. Absolutely. Because one of the problems that I see is even engaging with knowledge in the first place, right? Even before the point of deciding whether it's beneficial or not, sometimes we just see that people don't even engage with knowledge at all. They don't, yeah, that's true. It's, they just, and is, is that just a modern phenomenon? Like people don't want to... I think it's learn or critically think anymore about anything. People who are described as provincial, people who are described as just farmers, right? Right. Bedouin nomads. Al Arab in the Quran, the word Arab is different from the word Arab. Arab is the Bedouin, and they're like we in Egypt. They call them the Falahin, which is the farmer. And the the trait of these people is that they live in like two blocks. They never leave these two blocks, Right. right? And the problem with these individuals is that because they never interact, they get stunted. Right. They don't. They never. They ne- they don't develop problems, like people in the city develop problems. When you develop a problem, you have to find a solution, which oftentimes requires knowledge. When you live in a city, you have to compete. You can't just keep repeating the same act. I mean, the farmer, for example, and the Bedouin, 
What his grandfather did to her to scrap out a living, the grandson does the same exact routine to scrap out a living. Right. You never need to advance in knowledge. Right. Whereas you go to any city, if you behave in the same way for two months, you're done. Right. And today, in today's world, it's every day you better learn to acquire a new trait, a new quality, a new ability. Right. So I'm going to stick this in since we have majority Hanafis here. Yeah. When you mention cities and knowledge, yeah. let me just uh, drop that in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're right from the aspect, if you want to talk about financial matters, the reason that uh, the Hanafis are advanced in those, and even the Shafis will refer to them on those Buyu'a issues, and Madik himself. And when it comes to religious matters, it was no discussion. But when it came to uh, <laughs> when it came to uh, these muamalat, these interactions of business and finance, he said, "Go and go to Kufa because that's the place the head of the dunya is there, right? And they have the problems. They have problems. They have issues, and knowledge develops out of problems and issues." By the way, just as an aside, yeah. I think I finally understood why the Hanafiness of the Hanafi fiqh, because I'm taking the class by uh, Sheikh Faraz Khan yeah. on marriage. And I kid you not, it's been a two-hour lecture on the different ways you could say, I divorce you, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> and the linguistic effect and what the result is. Um, yeah. I'm just like, I divorce you? What? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what why are we spending yeah. two hours on it, analyzing the yeah. grammatical statements? Oh, Unbelievable. See, yeah, there's like there, there's a lot of, in the, that's the thing when cities, right? There's um, becomes like a glut of terminology, right. a glut of circumstances because there's such an admixture of of uh, different uh, groups, peoples, certain scenarios. Just like today, if you want to come and do business in some other, some country like Latvia or one of those countries, you just go and do business. Mm -hmm. to the, here, there are rules, oh, regulations, right. contracts. You can, I mean, so advanced societies get complicated over complicated yeah. right and so much so to the point that it almost becomes eventually impossible to do business so growth it affects growth right so that's why the idea of always going back to what is the purpose of all this and one of the things i realized that um one of the points i haven't mentioned the third point which i said purpose nature uh indicator and before i get to the indicator what is the indicator of knowledge in the way of the prophets. Before I get to that, one of the aspects of knowledge according to the way of MBA, the menhaj of Nubuwa, is that it is constantly grounded in the real world. Mm -hmm. it constantly grounded in the real world. And one example of that is Imam Malik saying, uh, asking people when they ask a fatwa, is, did this happen? And if he says no, right, he says, then when it happens, then come and ask it, right? Because there's no point in asking something. Of course, we know that Hanafis and Shafis <laughs> I was about to say. took the opposite approach. But even that was for the benefit of people. They said, Absolutely, we're yeah. going to engage in this yeah. in case something analogous occurs. There are a lot of examples where knowledge for us has to be grounded in reality. One of the best chapters on this is Babul Buyur, the chapter on buying and selling. Right. And when you study what the Sharia discusses on uh, uh, what the scholars talks about uh, a currency, what is a currency, the qualities of a currency, the first thing they said, well, one of one camp said as long as people treat it as a currency, but another camp, which is the Shafi's mainly, they said uh, you need it, a government needs to back it so that you can get your rights in court if you're oppressed, oh, wow. right? Then it's a currency. Right. So no so, private currencies. So if you notice, they took something that is an abstraction, the nature of a currency, 
and they rooted it in the real world, which is, okay, can you get your rights out of this, right? Mm-hmm. What, can you, what if you get oppressed? All right, let's think of the worst case scenario, like some guys, uh, you know, hustles you and, uh, and you get uh, duped. Can you get your rights? That just one simple example just goes to show you that uh, they, they rec- they're always rooted in the world, in the real world. So there's a degree of abstraction that gets rejected. That's not a fatwa on cryptocurrency, by the way. Uh, no, I'm transmitting, <laughs> but I would confidently transmit Absolutely. that that's the Shafi ruling. If you look at the Egyptian Shafi's scholars, they said it. I've studied, I've read their essays on it, and they define a currency as something that the requirement is the government must enforce it as a currency. So it's not a currency if I pay you and you say, no, I don't want this dollar, right? right. I want a lambs. And I say, no, you have to accept my $500. You're not going to get two sheep out of it, right? <laughs> and, then I, and then we go to court and have an argument, and the judge will say, you must accept his $500, right? So the, the court, the government backs it, the court backs it, and that's the Shafi ruling on, on that, right? And, uh, and I can refer people to the, those rulings. However, uh, the others, and I don't know if there's a division within the Shafi, there very well could be, right? But the other opinion was whatever's treated as, as a currency, right. right? But my point in that was that it just goes to show you that everything has to be grounded in the real world. That's the basis. And then the aspiration is the next world. Right. So we already have a framework of what true knowledge is. Right. Yeah. Everything else, really, if it falls outside the, those two, right. is a waste of time. So to paraphrase what was beneficial, what was the second point? The second, the first point was purpose, purpose. the purpose of knowledge. Purpose. Second was the nature of knowledge. Okay. And the nature of knowledge is not facts, books piled on. Okay. It's a light in the heart. Mm-hmm. And okay, now you get, wait a second. Now, we just said we're grounded in the real world, but now you're telling me something that's unseen. Well, the Sahaba recognized that too. And they asked, O Messenger of Allah, if that's the case, light in the heart, how do we know? Right. How do you know? light in the heart right what is light in the heart and he says and the prophet said the sign of it is loss of interest in worldly matters right. and increased interest in life Spiritual after the death life. right uh, and then preparation for life after death right right so so what we would we could call this under the broad category of manners adab right because anyone who cares about the afterlife they're going that's going to affect their manners right so we can and to to branch that off, the actual very word adab in Arabic refers to two things. Number one, it refers to manners, and number two, it refers to literature. Oh, wow. So the man of letters, right? The man who reads, the person who is studied, it it should have the effect of refining his manners, right? right? It should have those effects, and the refinement of matters is epitomized in the ways of prophets and sahabas and ulama and awliya that's what we call refinement of manners because today if you say manners people start to think of victorian manners like he's he's dressed up in a suit he's got the fork next to him he's got the knife he's got two cups right Right. that's not the manners we're talking about while that's not necessarily wrong in itself yeah yeah so uh, when we're talking about manners we're talking about the uh, refined manners of scholars and awliya, and that's why a person has to study, and also you, you have to study the sirah, you have to study the sahaba, so you have to know what, what, what are the signs of this right, rightful, uh, uh, righteousness. Uh, so 
I mean, Yusuf, to your point, you were saying that there are communities in which knowledge itself is not central. And yeah. that's, that's even a bigger point than what is knowledge yeah. of making it central. Yeah. Can I bring up a story? Yeah. I, just, I want to hear what your opinion is on this one. So this happened like maybe two months ago. I came into the masjid and I was running late. I was running into the uh, Hanafi door time, right? Past okay. the one shadow's length. And the Jama'ah was praying Asr. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just pray my door and then I'll join them for Asr. Yeah. And... My, by the time I finished my door, they had finished, and then one of the uncles came, oh, you could have just joined us and done your door with our Asr, which, you know, I understand that's a position in some of the madahib, but it's not a position in the Hanafi school. You have to intend what yeah. the imam is intending or less. And the reaction I got, I, this is kind of what, I, I guess, I reached out to Muin on this. It was He was like, okay, but I think we need to keep it simple for today's children and teenagers. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the two points that I got out of that was one is like, fine, it may be complicated for them, but that's not an excuse for you, right? Like you're, <laughs> you know, you're an adult and the truth is the truth. And our, you know, the model that the scholars set, you know, for us is that's the way it is. And yeah. if you're going to dumb it down now to make it easier for them, I understand you don't want to push people out or overburden people, but where are we going to be if generation after generation yeah. we do this? There's that's not going to be anything well, Hold left. up though. You know, like, what is overburdening, you know, yeah, like, so this subjective. is what I don't understand. Like what, what that's first of all, subjective. Um, it's one thing to, you know, not teach a, you know, five-year-old, you know, usulul fiqh, right? <laughs> <laughs> like today. Uh... Versus, you know, like a high school student who's already taking like honors physics right. or AP physics. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, you don't want to teach them usulul fiqh. Why not? I know. Why not? That's true. Because people are going to like wars before, That's right? True. Like, it, well, 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 <laughs> like when they were, you know. In, you go in, for in SAT prep. Can you imagine if you sign up for SAT prep? And the teacher wants to have fun, right? <laughs> and wants to not make it difficult and wants them to love SAT prep. You're going to want your money back, right? I mean, why is it that for those matters, we are super serious and we're pushing the envelope yeah. and we're getting mean and we're making sure we're studying and reading, right? But when it comes to matters of Dean, we walk on eggshells. Yeah. And, and hold up. Since when mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, learning about the basics of the four mudhubs like pushing the envelope? Yeah. I know. <laughs> right? Nowadays you know? it is. I'm you're not, telling you. Like, you're not learning. And I think like... this is why, you know, this is, I think this is why Salafis have some appeal is they keep it very simple, or at least the principles. Because it's, it's one mudhub, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like just Quran and Sunnah. Yeah. Okay, I can grasp that. Yeah. I may not look into it. Yeah. But and it's, that's what, but at the same time, that's why in the long term, it doesn't last. Right. Even anyone who's intellectually honest, who lives amongst Hanafis and Shafi'is and Malikis, right. I guarantee you they end up describing themselves as Hanbalis, right? I guarantee you that's how they're going to end up describing themselves. Right. They will not say, no, we're on the side of Salah. They don't do this, <laughs> right? Because when I talk to some of them, they have found that they coexist every night at Aisha with very pious Hanafis. Very pious Shabbis, Madikis, and very pious just common Muslims, right? Mm -hmm. So this notion of trying to brainwash themselves and others that there's only this one thing called the Sad of Salah and there's uh, these other darknesses, you can keep <laughs> repeating that, right? You can keep repeating that in a vacuum. That's fine. You'll get away with that. But as soon as you actually mix with real Muslims, right? I mean, diverse communities, they end up saying, we're Hanabila, Right. And at least that we can tolerate. That's tolerable. That's good. That's tolerable. At least he's respecting that there's some differences of opinion that are valid. Right? Well, and I think a lot of people also get frustrated. I'm talking about like youth. Is a lot of times they'll ask question. 
the last question you'll be like oh there's more than one answer and that frustrates them oh, to yeah. no end yeah. well I, I treat well I have kids and I, I don't like to talk about you know like personal stuff but I treat uh, my kids um, as much I, as you treat them like adults they actually start acting like adults, right? Yeah. The more the more you treat them like five year olds and dummies, they will be dumb. They will right. expect to be dumb, right? <laughs> they will be silly. So we actually have class, and I teach them fiqh, and I oh, teach them there awesome. are madhahib, right? You don't need to worry about the differences for now, but there are sound madhahib, and we're going to study this, right? So we're studying, and we don't go on. And I go and I make sure to teach them the adab of it. For example, don't ever go and say we are this. <laughs> don't say this, right? Just say we're Muslims, right? Or don't ever go to your teacher in school and say, well, my dad said something else, because that's not manners, right? And at the same time, there's a limit to that too, because you don't want to overexpose them, especially something negative. For example, we were having our pre-podcast meal, and my kids were up doing their homework. So after you guys went downstairs, my daughter came up and says, Baba, wow, what are the Obundis? <laughs> I said, okay, don't worry about that. <laughs> so, but the that, point... The that's po- the podcast we can't, we can't release. Yeah. So the point is that I think that once kids start to uh, pass a certain, uh, a certain level, maybe seventh and eighth grade, what is the problem with actually teaching them Right, difference of opinion in Deen if it's like from an usuli perspective. So you're teaching them usul. We don't teach these things. Islamic schools go into the twelfth grade studying sirah every year. Every Unbelievable. Year, same thing. The kids it's are just, complaining. And then they'll just pick any old person who looks righteous to teach the class. <laughs> and I guarantee you, the same kids are taking <laughs> physics. Right. That's the problem. How are you taking chemistry and physics, but there is no intellectual rigor in the islamic studies classes there is a fear and i'll tell you what it is is that it's when the parents themselves or the teachers they don't make take a position right they do not take a position and in islamic knowledge you have to take a position because you have to take action right so if you have to take action on something you have to take a position if you have to if there's a fork in the road you can't theoretically discuss the fork in the road right for long you're gonna have to go right or left Right. Very good. So in fiqh, the reason that we have to take positions and say, okay, I'm Shafi or Maliki or whatever, is because I actually have to act. Right. So if we're talking about a simple thing like the event, you got to give the event <laughs> in like an hour. You can't right. theoretically discuss it right. for long. You have to actually. So my point is when you have to act upon a religion, you have to take a position. Right. And only when you take a position can you transmit it. Otherwise, you're transmitting confusion. You're right. just transmitting, oh, there's so many opinions. Oh, well, well, what do we do? Right. Right. So I should, the way out of that confusion is to say, well, what do we actually physically do? Right. And that's our position. Well, I think also one of the reasons why they don't take a stand is that they're just not comfortable with the facts or history themselves. They don't have a grasp of it. They, they know. So in that case, it's the blind leading the blind. Exactly. Yeah. So they know a little bit more than the kids. Uh, they know what they've heard, let's say, from various YouTube lectures. But they just don't have a good comfort with history itself. And if you study his, the history of Islam, you'll realize that that's how the madahib developed. That's just what yeah. happened. And yeah. You can't deny history. That's what happened. And, and, so, and also what it is, if when it's the case of the blind leading the blind, then at that point, if someone is out in the middle of nowhere like Kansas and they have to teach the Islamic school and they found themselves with a job there and they got to teach their kids deen, but he doesn't know, then at that point he's malur, he's innocent, really. 
as wrong or, or foolish as what he might be doing, right. but he might be innocent. So what we have to bring out is the importance of producing with our wealth and our investments, people who study is more important than the brick and mortar building we call the mosque. Absolutely. Yes, I'm telling you, absolutely. it's way more absolutely. important. And we spend right. millions on building these fancy mosques and, and masjids yeah. and, 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 you know, with millions, parking garages literally like millions. underneath the masjid. Like yeah. it's ridiculous now, absolutely. some places how it's getting, but yet we don't have like qualified scholarship. People are not able to pay like 20 bucks for a fit class. Right. Like, you know, but, and those things, you know, they shouldn't even have to be paid, right? It's because we spend millions on the building yeah. that we can't pay our teachers and pay, you know, uh, students of knowledge who can teach these things, right? right? So it's like the example you mentioned with the Sita, right? If I'm not mistaken, right, and uh, I, I don't know the Madrasa curriculum, but a lot of, Mada, you know, Madara... Uh, the You're poor, talking about Islamic schools? Yeah, a lot oh, of okay. Islamic schools, right? They don't teach... Sita as like a sub that's like a side thing right like learning the Sita like it's that's like just, you don't get graded on it it's that's not just, like it's really a, like it's not a side it's thing like is a, it's not important it's it's side thing isn't you should know it by default uh, oh yeah right it like should be done by like you should you should know the Sita like it's like yeah. it's like telling a kid it's you a know prerequisite. it's a prerequisite to like life I'm right know the Sita I'm not even kidding you I I'm not even joking with you I went into a 10th grade classroom and that day they were having an exam and the exams were being passed up. And I just took a peek at the exam and it says the prophet's grandfather was <laughs> a Abu Lahab, B Abu Mutta, <laughs> right? C Abu Sufyan, D Abu Bak. I was just like, this is the 10th grade. And I guarantee you not everyone got an A, yeah. right? I mean, it just drives me nuts. Right. Oh, right. no, astaghfirullah, the, the seat is not a side thing. I meant, uh, it's 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 so important that it's that not. It should be done in fifth grade. It should be done, right? Grade. Like you should be learning the sita. Like it should be like your life learning yeah, it all it the time. Yeah, it should not be every year. It's it's, you it's, know, it's you... not like oh let's just sit down and and uh, now in Islamic school every year from fifth grade to twelfth grade you're learning yeah. the sita. Like I, I remember in eleventh grade I learned like the Khulafa Rashidun. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now let me let me tell you something. Uh, the, back to to the point of knowledge in general. And how the the secularization of knowledge has occurred, right? To to many of us, right? Without realizing that that uh, Nubuwa prophecy gives us a holistic picture of what knowledge is. Right. And one of the things I said is that it's grounded in reality. And um, the second thing, the point, uh, another feature about it is that it's meant to be acted upon, right? Absolutely. So knowledge that is not like that is useless. So that's why the scholars said, "La mushahata fil There is no real need to argue about terminology whatever we agree about a term is what it is right so recently today i was looking up a term i was like what is the opposite of disposable income right so disposable income is what you what you have after all taxes yeah. and expenses right and so the, i got i ended up on some website right in which these i guess they're economists or what i, I don't know uh, finance types and there was a huge debate on the meaning of the opposite of disposable income, which was some term I can't even remember. <laughs> but to me, the way I looked at it from the perspective of what we're taught about terminology, why do you need to have an argument? There is no Lord of that definition. Right. It's a definition that, as Quran tells us, right, Allah has not revealed it. Therefore, it's open for discussion. How you want to define it, you define it. So agree on a basis. So one of this this very simple thing of a major argument on what is the the, the this term 
right? What is the actual definition? She realized it's Sultan, right? In here, this verse of Quran is beautiful. It says, these are just words that you guys named. Yeah. So name it whatever you want. Oh, right? Yeah. So if I want to call, if I come up today and I say, listen, I to me, disposable income is money that I throw in the garbage. Let's say hypothetically, I want to say that, right? It's it's going to be useless because nobody uses the term that way. But if I want to make up a term or if I want to go to another country and teach them English and I'm going to teach them my version of English, I can turn to the word. And there's, there's no uh, uh, boundary, right? So what I'm talking about is that something that has no use, this principle that everything should have a function or to be acted upon, right? Right could influence the way someone understands knowledge in the secular world, right. right? In the secular world. So the value of something is that everyone is using it. Everyone's using the term disposable income, so we know what it means, so that we don't look like sure, fools. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But just circling back to one point also about just, this is going back a couple minutes, but the massage is not pushing knowledge. I think there's a, a, a big hesitation in terms of, Division. People don't like division. They don't like bifurcation yeah. or trifurcation or whatever the word yeah. is called. Well, they then it like... comes down to like sectarian, or you're causing sectarian conflict yeah. or whatever, right? Right. But so I think one of the casualties of this whole Salafi Sufi thing is that many people are like, I'm not going to follow either. And I'm not going to yeah. learn about anything that yeah. causes a difference of opinion. But if you take that approach, you don't learn very I much. Yeah. Right. I so, I mean, it's just like, I'll show up for prayer and I'll fast in Ramadan, which, okay. Nowadays, that's if you do that, yeah. that's like that's great. But yeah. no, the only solution yeah. is learning more knowledge. Right. There's really the only solution. To, and I'm telling you, when I came in around the age of up to age of 17, the dean for me was such a simple thing. Right. right? And I never imagined there was, um, you know, fights between pious groups. And that really was scarring to me. I was like depressed, yeah. full of anxiety and didn't know which way to go. And every single time that I came upon that, I realized there's only one solution is to learn more. Right. Right. And the more you learn, the more that went away. Right. Right. Now, the, the, on the path of learning, uh, if you're going to take a position on something, you might end up for a period of time having uh, being at war with another exactly. group. Right? Yeah, exactly. But the more you learn, the less that becomes an issue. Yeah. Right. Right. And another point I want to throw in here <clears throat> is... When it comes to the idea of learning Islamic knowledge, when it comes to any uh, secular field, and I think we've mentioned this before, right? I have, let's say, done you know twelve years of high school, and I have my bachelor's in economics. I'm not an economist. That doesn't make me an economist, right? Going to take a class on usul al fiqh, like I, you know, people ask me, you know, I'm taking classes with you know Dr. Shadi or Mufti Niyaz. Like, oh, are you becoming a scholar? No, like, like I'm not like right. just because I'm taking classes about learning the dean, right. I'm not trying to become like you know, uh, well, uh, like that. You have to have your you know. Uh, but your, I think this is a problem. Aim, right? This is a problem because people think it's one or the other, and that's that's the what problem. it is. Well, right? that's uh, that's also when it comes to the secularization. Part of the secularization of the idea of knowledge is that it has to have a terminal end that ends in some kind of certificate yeah. or title. Right. Whereas if you looked at uh, traditionally what knowledge was was it is like the water of life you must always be in one dars at least a week it's unheard of right and you go in some societies it's unheard of that you didn't learn something about your dean once a week right at least and it was an idea that once i step out 
onto this mission of knowledge that I must end some, it has to have some ending that gives me a title. Right. Right. But, you know, to counter that, though, even from a specular, a secular perspective, I think there is still some end point at which a Muslim can strive to reach, which is your fardain. Yeah. Right. That's the basics. And unfortunately, like, I don't even think I know my fardain. Right. So it's like and and when I when I see, you know, other individuals, you know, they, they mention it to me. It's like, oh, you're learning a lot. It's like. It's like I don't even know my father's name. Like I don't even know my basics to be even a Muslim, let alone to claim that you know I'm any sort of like student of knowledge. Right. And then and then a scholar yeah. is even further than that, right? But so I mean, Zakab by <laughs> itself, like you're you're a guy now who has who works who has a business, right? Right. So your the status of your Zakab right. by itself requires a study, right? Right. And that's always something that requires a study. And for all the transactions who, yeah. of the business, yeah. and yeah, and, it's a, and, yeah. And, and imagine you know individuals, you know students in in the secular world, you go through twelve years of high school. Um, nowadays, you know people do four years of a bachelor's and undergrad. That's you know fourteen. I'm sorry, uh, sixteen years of learning. Right. At the very least, I mean, we should have you know. A number of years of learning in the Islamic yeah. world, yeah. the your like three hour class on Sunday with like a two hour lunch break in the middle, and like you know, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. is that really? And I don't want to make blanket statements, but it, I, I, I don't know. I see like a lack in 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 Islamic knowledge when it comes to right. how we're brought up and how we're taught the deen. Right. And I don't know if this is just a northeast thing, and we're just speaking from our perspective of how I see things. Um, but that's that's always a question I've had. You know, is this? Uh, I think this, yeah. there's two parts to it. I see. It. As the one is that you should. Anytime you're acquiring knowledge, you should know your limits, and you should. That's kind of the most important. I remember you said that one time, and when you came to our masjid, you were like, you have people of no knowledge, and you have people of a lot of knowledge, and you have people in between, and sometimes they're the most dangerous yeah, of all. So when you yeah. think you have a lot of that's knowledge. True. But you don't. That's true. Uh, so I think yes, as you're acquiring knowledge, you still need to know your limit, and you should not confuse yourself to think you're a, uh, a scholar by any stretch of the imagination. If, if you're taking one of these weekend classes or online classes or what have you, but at the same time, that has a, an, another side to it, which I think some people are discouraged from pursuing knowledge because they don't think they'll pursue it to any definite yeah. end to become a scholar and therefore they think well that's ends. not my vocation what can i do with that yeah. and that's yeah. a problem because yeah. everybody should look at knowledge and say well let me get as much as i can let right? me uh, uh, go back in american history i remember uh one of the kennedys came on the radio one time and was saying that uh talking about the dis- political discourse and he was saying that back in the day his fathers and uncles and all the kennedys that were in politics uh that they would have people over Right. right, and he didn't know who these people were. He grew up and he started going to the Senate with his dad. I think you can watch some Senate hearings or something. Right. I don't know, but he found uh, he got there and he's like he found all the men that he knew from his house mm-hmm. sitting there and having arguments to no end, right, back and forth and back and forth. And then he would hear on the radio, "Oh well, Senator so and so said this, and Senator so and so replied with that," and they're at each other's throats. And he's like, wait a second, though. But these guys come over and we play tennis and we have lunch. And what he was what the point of what he was saying was that they were so mature because they were so uh, educated that education breed bred within the maturity right. to know where the lines are and what the limits are. Right. What's the limit of this argument? 
and how dangerous it is if it spills into another space, right? Or into another, to another level, right? And he said today, I mean, people t- truly hate each other, right? Right? And he was attributing it to their poor educations, right? Which spilled into their manners. So he actually had the same type of mentality that we have. That education, the sign of it is manners, right? And to me, that was like, you know, I was like, wow, like that's the way we view the world too. That education is matters. The more two, you get two educated people. If they're truly educated in their spheres, they could be at polar opposites right. and they will find ways to respect each other, get along and live. And you'll never know they hate each other or they're, they're at each other's, right. they're opposed in their ideas. And you get two ignorant people who agree on 90% of the same thing. Right. Bring them together. They will find oh, a way yeah. to make a war. They make it all, all right. add a, common. Yeah, a caveat to that though, right? Yeah. I don't think... You know, education is a direct correlation to intelligence, right? Because you can have very educated people oh, very who much. are s- very, very much. dumb, right? Well, that's so. it. Well, in the Islamic <laughs> world, in the Islamic world, that is actually the dominant case because at least I know can tell you that in Egypt, they send the worst students to Islamic uh, to college to Azhar. Right? They send the if you're crippled, blind, or you are you failed. So they have national high school testing, right? <laughs> and then they have the first tranche goes to medicine, the second tranche to engineering, the third tranche to law, which is bizarre to me because those are your judges, right? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So they don't even take the first tranche and cut it up and oh, say man. like a third in law, a third in whatever. And then finally at the end, if you failed all that, religion, right? <laughs> so... No, it doesn't give you any surprise at that point when that imam comes to America to get a job, oh, man. right? And some masjid, and the kid who's like the son of the president of the mosque is barely interested in Dean, and he sees this is the product. Right. It's like the heck with this. This is ridiculous. This guy doesn't know anything. Right. 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 Or he's asking him a serious question, like a serious question, and getting like a dumb answer. Right. Right. So uh, if that's the person who's reciting the Quran, I think he's doing a disservice, right? Yeah, I, I, but but there's also a lot of uh, I mentioned it in another way, which is there's a lot of intelligent people. I'm sorry, there's a lot of educated people with you know PhDs, master's degrees, who will say a lot of things but actually not say anything, right? So oh yeah, the, well, the, that, that might be their aim also. I think in a lot of well, you, is, well, you know what what we're talking about. When we talked about, when I mentioned the point of acting upon it, that this is one of the purposes of knowledge. This is really important. It's not a side point. That in knowledge is only useful insofar as you can actually, it can lead to some effect in the world. Right. And what Nazmul said the other day in his episode, which I really liked, was a type of fake intellectualism where you want to doubt everything and that's your cover or way of looking intelligent. But you never put your stake in the ground for anything, which to me is a biggest sign of ignorance or fear because you're afraid to actually make any statement because once you make a statement, you're going to have to face all the reactions to that statement, all the doubt, all the uh, skeptics, right? So it's a lot easier to go around posing doubt to everything and seeming like, well, it's questionable. Well, it's debatable. Because then right. you actually never put your stake in the ground for anything. And you never have to defend your ground. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, when we say the word like, right? It's 
like ilm itself is knowledge of Allah and his rasul sallallahu and the and the and the and the secrets of the world and the universe that is knowledge yeah. right academic orientalism is not knowledge yeah. i mean yeah. cuz you're not cuz you're not and and when i was looking at these guys in in soas university of london and these professors there were a couple dinosaurs left and they had these funny nicknames that the students gave them like ibn iblis right <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. the students, and, and i'm telling you <laughs> ibn iblis and they had these names for these guys and these guys would throw in a doubt right they would throw a question and then a muslim would have to respond now there was always the same dynamic of the muslim getting defensive and this guy just casually tossing fire gas on the right. flame right so now the reason for this is he has nothing to lose he has not staked right. put his stake in the ground for anything he believes in nothing right so all he can do is go to you right. and throw a, a flame at you go to you all right throw a wrench into your system right. he has no system himself to defend Whereas the Muslim has made a, sta uh, a statement, he has taken a position. And isn't this what gets you recognition in the academic world? Is to this upturn, overturn things which that's have been what Imam, accepted. That's what Imam Zaid talked about. Well, I mean, it's known deconstruction, what it is, right? I mean, that's all it is: deconstruction, deconstruct. So, what have you constructed, except a a, a labyrinth of doubts, right? It's just a labyrinth that you're never going to get out of. And when I studied philosophy. One of my reasons for studying it, which is so long ago, uh, is that I felt to myself, I can't study this, Dean, unless first I know right. I have to look what the enemy is all about. Right? right. And why is it that these with these philosophers, what is their deal exactly? I couldn't stand being ignorant right. of what the philosophers were saying. Right. So I studied and I went knee deep in studying philosophy, which was I wouldn't say a mistake, but I wouldn't recommend it. Is your undergrad in did you, philosophy? Did you, my minor was in philosophy. Did you feel oh. you put yourself at Rutgers? risk at any point where you're like, this stuff there is was messing? A, yeah. There wasn't a point where I was uh, confused on my dean, right. but there was a point, the worst that it ever got with me was there was a wiswas in my head right. that I think maybe our ulama are a bit simplistic, mm -hmm. right? Maybe they are, right? Mm -hmm. And that wiswas was so bad. I got so upset. And believe it or not, that wiswas came... I was in Tarim, Yemen, right? I'm right. there in Tarim, which goes to show you, it didn't affect me to the point that I would, like I still had my mission, I was going to study. But that wiswas came into my head and I kept thinking about the, the, the 30 line sentences of the philosophers and how these, you know, like the density of their work. Right. And I thought, you know, what do we say? We say, verily actions are by intentions and very simple statements like this. And I thought to myself, what if, our scholars are really just simplistic people. So I knew, alhamdulillah, it's not I knew, it's from Tawfiq from Allah, that I that this was recognized in my mind as a wiswas. And I had to get rid of it real fast. I ran down to one of the Habayib's house at about 7 a.m. in the morning because I had to get rid of this as well. This to me is an emergency. Right. Like if you have a toothache, oh my God, yeah. it's an emergency. If you have a heart attack, it's an emergency. To me, this was an emergency. And I knew these people would understand. Right. And I went, and just imagine this. You go to a man's house at 7 a.m. And I'm ringing his doorbell. Ringing, 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 ringing. Nonstop. Then someone passed by. A truck passed by. and says, I said, no one's, uh, I said, where's Habib Omar's house? And he said, get in the back of the truck. So I got in the back of the pickup truck. And we drove about a few minutes, right, on a dirt road. And then I got out. I ran. I rang the doorbell. A little girl came out. Right? She said something in Yemeni really quick. Like the Yemeni dialect. I didn't understand what she was saying. 
I just said, ain't a bookie, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? So she, then Habib Omar came out, right? Oh my gosh, it was like a king came out. I'm right. telling you. Yeah. He carries himself like a king. Yeah. Literally, and then he said, go, go around to the front door. I didn't realize I was at the side door, right? I ran to the front door. I came inside. I went inside. I sat down. I said, I have studied so much falsafa. I'm having a wiswas. Right. And this Wiswas is telling me the ulama, they don't know. I didn't say like what the Wiswas, I said having Wiswas. He said, then he gave me Dhikrillah. Right. And he said, take this. There's some Egyptians coming. We're going to have a breakfast in about an hour. Do this Dhikrillah. And he gave me some Adhkar to say. Literally, I started saying, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah. On the third one, that Wiswas was gone. Wow. SubhanAllah. Then it was to me, that's living example. That this knowledge works you know right it removed it was totally totally removed i yeah. can't tell you that this is almost like like a like a um, when you put a medicine on right. like oh my gosh pain is gone yeah it's interesting because i remember you brought this up one time in one of our whalen classes that uh there's more to remaining on the faith i mean obviously it's from Allah but there's more to remaining on the faith than just your simple knowledge there's a whole bunch of you know defenses that you have to have one is yeah. one of which even at its most simple level is that your family is that way or the people around you are that way, right? Yeah. So there's like the inertia of yeah. it, right, basically. And, I, and I'm sure that must have helped you a lot because you oh, had a whole, yeah. you know, upbringing and everything that, you know, it was going to take a lot to... I mean, You're 100% right about it. 100% right The other thing it. is, you know, just the faith of holding on, but then there's the rational aspect of it. Then there's the azkar itself. Yeah. You, you know, something touches your heart that... You're like, you know what? This gives me something that yeah. that doesn't give me. Okay, that philosopher throws this doubt or whatever. Yeah. What is going to come at that exactly. end of the day, right? Yeah. It's like, there's... what's going to be the result of that? Right. And, exactly. And when you look, or when I, one of the things that when you go to these places, these are almost like beehives or they're like castles, and the sheikh is the king of that castle, right. and you see the life that exists, right? And just being in Tarim, it was just um, so many people, and everyone is happy. It's amazing. Right? There's not a single miserable person. There might have been one grouchy person and he had a job. I think he was given a job out of sympathy be- uh, from, the, from the people there because he was family. Right? But he was always grouchy. Right? <laughs> he was always uh, yelling at the students. Right? And that was only the one person. And you sort of understood that, yeah, because he's part of the family, he probably just needs to have a position. Right? But... When you see uh, 400 people, and that was in the summertime, and there was maybe two, two to three, maybe four, I don't know how, how many people, maybe 200 people, right, in the summertime. Everyone's happy. Sure. It's unbelievable. Everyone's driven. Mashallah. Everyone is on a track. And it's like, this will never happen in a university, right, where people's hearts are upon one heart, right? The hearts are all on one. Right. Yeah, and that and, is, and, okay. and that that definitely makes a difference. I remember I have a I have a similar story, definitely not as impactful as that one, but similar. I, I remember uh, I faced you know a similar type of doubt because I read a lot of you know philosophy, um, and, and and I had a very similar doubt, which is you know um, it, it was it was it wasn't a doubt, it was a was was like I knew it was a doubt, and I remember the first thing I did was uh, I didn't know Dr. Shadi at the time, so I, I called Mufti Niaz. I said, you know, I have, I have uh, this waswas about uh, after reading, you know, a bunch of philosophy texts, uh, you know, um, about, you know, a, a lot of things in the deen. And, and he said, you know, uh, he's like, it's better that you talk to Dr. Shadi. <laughs> so, so he's like, he's better at that stuff. So I said, okay, fine. That's, I, and that's, that's when I actually met you the first time. So I met Dr. Shadi the first time. I remember walking around in his yard. Um, and he gave me the same dhikr, right? La ilaha illallah. And I remember I went home. 
I did like five of them, and the waswas was gone. Same. I remember you told me the dhikr from Habib Umar, right? Do la ilaha illallah, and then Allahu Allah. Same dhikr. Uh, and uh, I remember I was like la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, and like the fourth or fifth one, waswas was gone. Unbelievable. So it's it's uh, I remember for weeks on end, I was reading. I was trying to read more Quran. I did a lot of like spiritual things I I thought would help me, but I think the the this is where the impact of you know having a guide and a teacher and yeah. and someone to help you that's where the impact comes and yeah. and that is not something that is um it's not in the books right it's not, it's no. not in the books and that's yeah. a, that's one thing that i don't think uh any philosopher or materialist type person is ever going to understand and un- and unfortunately i hate to say this it's something like the 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 that a lot of uh, people today in the Muslim mind, especially in the U.S. and the Northeast, because of the Salafi influence, they've never experienced that. That's never. That's yeah. not something you can just, you know, explain via books. Yeah, they don't right? engage yeah. with the whole rational. Yeah. Well, that's an experiential yeah. thing, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like how Imam Ghazali, you know, he he, rahimahullah, he says that uh, you know there's 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 three types of people. There's you know the knowledge. There's the knowledge of the philosophers, the knowledge of the scientists, and the knowledge of the people of truth of, of yeah. haq. Have you right. have you guys done the positive to Sawaf one yet? Not yet. We'll do okay. Because well, what, what what you both brought up is just that's just one of those benefits. I don't want to get too much into it right now, but sometimes having that structure in place that can work against you, but that really can work for a lot of people. Yeah. Is that you're surrounded by this ecosystem where you you just don't have these things penetrating yeah. to you as much. Um, yeah. But so the point I want to both based on both of your stories. It seems really important to preempt these kind of doubts yeah. in philosophy and Absolutely. to give this kind of education. Uh, uh, as I mean, even for eleventh graders, twelfth graders, they can handle this, right? Like yeah. in terms of how we approach this and what our defenses. You put the defense there in the first place, and the burden is much higher on yeah. all these classes. Or I mean, whatever I was already reading philosophy texts, so why can't I be reading, right. you know, uh, Akida texts, yeah. right? So to, for someone to say that, you know, somebody can't learn this, hello, like they're yeah. already right. learning the the, yeah. the right. other right. stuff. No, right? you can't. You have to too. <laughs> and like what you said earlier is that our iman is not just. Um, built on one defense right it's it's got many it's it's dimensions too it's not like three layers like three arguments no it's dimensions and that one dimension of the family is a big one right Right. so i had a very simple family growing up right and the simple routine and back in the day it was normal in the 80s it was normal you have a mom you have a dad you have soccer practice after school you come home you do your homework maybe if you're lucky you watch some tv and then you go to sleep and it was like repeat that five times a week Saturday, maybe you have a game or you do something fun, what or you, you do used, nothing. What did you used to watch? Out of curiosity, I used to watch uh, Transformers. Hockey. No, oh, hockey. are you talking about when I was your young? Half, your when half I, hour when you were uh, yeah. When I was young, I watched the car, the common cartoons that everyone did, like okay. He Man or yeah, okay. uh, the cool. What were the cool the Thundercats? Thundercats. Yeah, Thundercats. Thundercats was big. Transformers was big. Uh, but uh, you know, watch some hockey and go to sleep. So. I always think to myself, this that this is boring, right? Right. I'm bored out of my mind, until when I started in in high school. A couple times only, I went and got exposed to some other families out there, right? Mm. And I saw drunkenness, right? Wow. And I'm like, this is chaos. Like, no one in the family is doing this. Like, our household was on lockdown. Like, our household was stuff like that. That doesn't happen in the house. It's a protected area. You feel totally secure, right? And then you went, there's drunkenness. There's, you know, like uh, all sorts of dramas going on. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm never going to do that, right? Yeah. I'm not even going there. 
So even if you ever had a thought of, well, there's some restrictiveness, in, but at least I'm secure, right? I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not going to trade in this, this yeah. package that I have. Cause to, so to me, Islam became a source of that security right. in that uh, it didn't allow this free mixing to a degree where you, the, the, you know, there are these fights between men and women over who's sitting on whose lap, right? <laughs> and when I just remember I saw three or four uh, parties like that, and I thought to myself, I'll never, I'll never go. This is ridiculous. This is out of control. Right. So to me, that itself was an anecdotal yeah. defense, right? right? Where to myself, I said, well, look, without some basic sacred law, oh, it becomes the jungle out there, right? Yes. So there's this whole debate, right, uh, with respect to Islamic school about, uh, you know, if you send your kid to Islamic school all the way till 12th grade and then they suddenly get exposed in college, some people make the argument that, well, it's better to expose them gently a little sooner. But it sounds like not so much, right? Because just give more time for the roots to grow. Exactly. Yeah. M- more time to build that inertia and expose them as late as possible. And I, I, think, I never understood the argument. Yeah, yeah I never understand the mentality that these are bubbles. I don't understand that. Why isn't public school a bubble, right? What's the difference? You think public school and these high schools, they're all like out there discovering everything no and, and by the way in the east where we live at least there are a lot of muslims right, right. between newark and princeton and you're a little past princeton right? right but between newark and princeton there are a lot of muslims in newark a lot of muslims in edison different types of muslims right and then you go to central jersey and there's hello meat in the stores so the concept of a muslim being isolated right you're not isolated that's yeah. number one number two if your kid reads novels or watches tv he's not isolated Right, I don't just don't I don't understand it. To be honest with you, I don't understand the logic at all. Right, uh, they're not there's no isolation. They're exposed. And then anyway, what are we talking about? Are we talking about isolation from the English language, or are we talking about isolation from filth? Yeah, you would want to isolate be isolated from filth. Would you want a gutter running through your kitchen? Right, exactly. a sewer exactly. running through your kitchen to say, exactly. well, don't be isolated. Do it well, sooner why you, rather than later. Yeah, 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 I mean, listen, we tell you, look, diarrhea exists. Why flush it down the toilet? Right. So I, I actually have an opposite opinion to you guys, mm. which I'm going to bring up. My, and, you know, my daughter is not, not the age to go to Islamic school yet, but I've always wondered this myself because I'm, I'm not pro Islamic school. Um, I never have been. I, 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 for me, and maybe you can convince me out of it, but here's maybe this is the devil's advocate argument to that which is nowadays i see a lot of issues in islamic school which are just as prevalent in public school right it's easier for me to say it's like you know ignore those kids they're the kuffar versus you know a muslim student you know or a muslim peer in an all islamic school getting taught by all islamic you know parents you know having a problem it's harder to deal with that, right? I can, you know, I, like I went to public school. I went to public high school. Um, I had very, very little Muslim, very few Muslim friends. My best friends were uh, Christians, atheists, all types of people. Um, it wasn't actually until I entered college that I had, that I had a lot of Muslim friends that Same I had any me. doubts about anything. Yeah, you know, right? a, I, I was fine until I met Muslims. That is the <laughs> counterpoint. That is the main counterpoint and I, that I always weigh in my head too is that you can always, to some degree, keep non-Muslims arm's length. That's yeah. not me. That's you. There's a little bit of a difference. But when it gets normalized within the Muslim community to do certain things, 
that's much harder than to have the discipline to stay away from, right? Because exactly. you say, oh, they're Muslim. We're all Muslim together. You know, we're not all going to go to hell or something like that, right? Where you say it's somewhat acceptable. Well, here's, a, here's the thing. I figured out, I think, and I, who knows, but I think I figured out a way to, um, to navigate that. And you just cre- have to create a, uh, a gray. So you're saying that it's much easier if it's black and white, right? I'm not saying it's, it's, it's much easier if it's black and white. My thing is it takes just as much amount of effort, if not more so with kids going to Islamic school than me just telling, sending them to public school and having them learn that this is not the right way. Right. Like I think. Well, yeah. I'll tell you one thing that a Muslim school will take off your back. Number one, it eliminates the amount of things that you have to deal with. That's number one. How? How? OK. I mean, you're not going to deal with the school putting on certain programs. Right. That's number one. What kind of programs? Oh, like sex education, stuff and... like that type of stuff, right? Whatever that, whatever that is, right? Number two, you got uh, the Muslim school taking off your hands a lot of education, especially and all Muslim schools. I think do a good job from K through five right, right. to K through six. In right. like my kid, they they know how to read Arabic, right. right? I never had to teach them for a second how to like. I'll reinforce it. I'll ask them to read something daily on a regular basis. In the car, we have a book, some some prayer books. Read a prayer. Read a du- read a couple right. du- a couple pages of Aurad, right? That reinforces it. But the teachers taught them that, right? And I'm like really thankful for that, right? They taught them the small surahs, so it takes a lot off your hands that a Sunday school would never do because right. they're doing this daily, five days a week, right? And a lot of stories of MBA that they will do in school, right? That. I wouldn't have to do or Sunday school wouldn't have to do. So I would say that that to me has been the biggest and I'm not, I'm, I'm flexible, right. right? I'm not like one way or the other homeschool, Muslim school, public school. I don't see public today. Public schools today, I think are a lot different than when I was. That's a the problem. Right. Yeah. And so are Islamic schools. That's, that's another problem, right? Like it's not like if it was like yeah. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it's fairly black and white. Go to Islamic school. You'll be fine. Right. But- now it's, uh, I don't know so much, right? Let me counter your one point, though. It's not just about knowing what's right and what's wrong. It's I guess you're right, right. about the pressure that you're standing on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. Like in an Islamic school, I, I think there's no doubt that's going to be less. Now there's that, in, there's that other you know, there's threat, gonna, yeah. which is that you normalize the certain things. But the other thing is that when you go to, a, from what I've noticed, when people go to public school and they develop strong friendships with non-Muslims, to some degree, that can compromise their ability to clearly say Islam is right yeah. and their, what uh, they're yeah, upon yeah. is wrong. Because it's like, I know these people. Yeah. They're yeah. good people. How can they possibly be, yeah. you know... That's true. That's a big point. That's, That's true. true. You need That's to have true. that. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the one concern that I have, right? And that concern is that I remember having a couple dramas in school, like all kids do, right? right? Where really get really upset, Right. And it's a big problem that you have with like one person or two or three or a group of friends, right? Or a fallout, right? It happens to everyone. Now, when I had that fallout, I said, well, at least now I have those Muslim friends. And they would never do something like that. Right. Now, when you're in Islamic school, if you have that kind of problem there, I've never experienced that. Right. To me, Muslims were a group of people that I could had to go to. It was never around them on a default setting, right? That was never around them enough to have problems. So you, sorry, you went to a public school. I right? went to a public yeah, school, right. right? So I was yeah. never around Muslims enough to right. develop 
the time to have a problem. Right. We never had dramas with Muslims, right? Because I saw you like once a week maximum, right. right? So what happens now when you're with Muslims five days a week and you develop a serious drama that yeah. emotionally scars you, right? Then what does that kid do? You're going to want to turn to something different, something fresh, something so far yeah. away from Muslims, right? And that's something that I'm thinking about. It's not definitely doesn't outweigh everything else because number one that's speculative number two it's subjective right but it is a reality yeah. right so what happens when two muslim kids or one kid and five other kids have a huge fight right and that kid wants the wants to be the furthest they are, can be from the muslims yeah or if one quran teacher says that you're going to go to hell if you do yeah. x y or z so it's just so what's it called experience bias there must be yeah. some word for it so uh, the what you rely yeah. upon is the maturity of that muslim kid to, mm. to not lump everything together and to realize mm. that's those people right yeah. that's those yeah. individuals not all muslims are not islam itself that's where like i mean i think it's definitely not black and white in yeah, no, in so. any yeah. respects right even right. that's why i don't like uh uh, you know, I don't fall into either camp, you know, but, but it's like, I, I've just, because I've went to public school, you know, um, and, and where, where I'm from in South Jersey, there are not that many Muslims. I don't come from a, uh, a big background of Muslims. There's not halal shops. There's like one halal shop. It was by Qadiani though, right? <laughs> it was. So, uh, um, uh, yeah. The, so, uh, no, no, I mean like even restaurants, right. Um, there are not that many halal restaurants down there. It's a very sparse group of Muslims. Uh, and it was even worse before. Um, yeah. But so that's where, like, you know, I've never been exposed to Islamic school. It's only when I, you know, moved to Central Jersey, went to Rutgers. Uh, I met, you know, students and, and, and other friends who went to Islamic school, you know, their, you know, their whole life. Now, one thing that I noticed, right, is a lot of uh, Muslims that have gone to public school, and this is a super generalization, this is my personal opinion on, on what I noticed in my life. Um, a lot of folks that I noticed is when they went to public school and went, had a, you know, a lot of non-Muslim friends and then they became Muslim, they're almost like converts, right? It's very yeah. fresh, yeah. new to the deen. Everything is, right. you know, hardcore, yeah, right? That's why a lot of people end up going Salafis, right? Yeah. So it's like everything is hardcore right in the beginning, yeah. right? And that's kind of how I sort of started out, right? And a lot of the friends that I have from down there, they're all the same way, right? Which yeah. is everything is serious, right? Um, there is no like... Um, like like praying five times a day wasn't normal for us, right. right? Going to the masjid wasn't normal for us. When you meet a Muslim at work, it was like, man, I met a Muslim, right? <laughs> right, right. Like yeah. for us, it's like because we didn't have that many Muslim friends because we didn't have any, you know, uh, relationship to other Muslims. It's like we don't even know well, how to be. One, right? one observation that I that we that is very noticeable in our in the youth uh, group that we have is that the kids who go to Muslim schools, they know the drill. Right, and it's a very easy to work with them, right? The kids that don't, you have to sort of break them in to some basic drills, right? right? Like get off to make we'll do it so lot, right? Oh, right, right. Come right. to the masjid with some decorum, right? Behave properly with elders and with the opposite gender, right? It's like those things. It's almost like taking a guy who's never played basketball. And sending him to camp, right. basketball camp, for the first time. The kids who've been there three times already, when the coaches line up and do X, Y, Z drill, they know what to do. Right. They're not going to monkey around and try to be cute, right? But uh, what I noticed is that it's like, Interesting. it's a hassle. It's like, it's not like, 
I don't like them or anything, but it's just like, are you seriously going to like make this a big deal? Right? <laughs> Can you like, I mean, it's a, such a simple thing. So it's about habits. So I guess the point that I'm saying is it's habits. Yeah. Habit formation is something that's pretty important. Like right. stop fidgeting in Salah. You're like, you're 13 years old. Right? <laughs> right? I remember a friend of mine uh, when, when I was young, I was maybe like third grade and he was in like first grade. He used to say to me hey, uh, in Sunday school class, he's like, listen, I'll just talk to you in Salah. <laughs> and he used That's to try awesome. to make trades, trade hockey cards with me awesome. in Salah, right? <laughs> um, but you raised an interesting point, Moeen, about, uh, I was thinking of a sports analogy about like, you know, like a team peaking at the right time. You know, in the sense that if you're not exposed to Islam as much and then right around college, if that's, that's the moment when you grasp me and say, I want to learn about it myself, I kind of feel like that's the best of all, right? Whereas, and maybe I'm just imagining this, but what if you're going to an Islamic school and it's so routine? You know, like they say, like when you are, I'm trying to think, let's say if you're in a tariqa or something like that, you do things for many years, like Sheikh Hamza raised this point that it's hard to have that, uh, that, novelty, that yearn, no yeah, novelty. yearning and uh, yeah. novelty, just yeah. the thirst and the hunger. I wonder if, in your experience, even like the students you have that do go to Islamic school, are they kind of just like saying like, okay, or do, like, do you see any kind of? Well, here's the thing: that novelty thing is for everyone, even the convert who gets that. Right. In twenty years, in ten years, it's gone anyway. Because let me give you the proof of that. Right. Abu Bakr Siddiq, right? Right. Story. That story of he said he loves to watch the new Muslims read the Quran. Wait a second, he's a convert too, right? Oh, yeah. As an adult. Yeah. So it, it's for everyone. That novelty wear off it happens to everyone. Right. And what I've seen, though, is like in our community, right? Uh, the kids who came around, there are many kids who grew up, their, their mind just turned on. They all came from Islamic school. But when their mind turns on, their mind turns on. When they find right. something beneficial, they find something beneficial. And a lot of them, they kick it into high gear. And they kick it into high gear and they move faster because they already know the drills. They know fundamentals. They don't need to worry about certain things. So I, what I've found is that they do kick it into high gear. Right. They do have a yearning. And just because they've been around doesn't mean they've, they've grasped what they've been around. Right. And if that was the case, then you would have no scholar, no That's true. Uh, path, spiritual path, no energy in the Muslim world. Right. Right. Where all the kids are grown up, surrounded by the best scholars, best massage and everything, right, for hundreds of years, but they still kick it into high gear because it touches their heart. And right. when Allah wants to guide, He guides. Right. Uh, it's Suyuti. I mean, how hungry was he? Right. And Ashadri, right? These great people from the past. Uh, how about uh, Ibn Atta'illah? Right. He's already a fully trained, seasoned jurist from head to toe. And right. then he meets Abu Hassan Ashadri. Right. Uh, or sorry, uh, Abu Abbas al Mursi, al -Mursi yeah. the the disciple of Imam Shah. The Shab. next stories of the Oliya episode is going to be so who? Is on uh, Imam Shah. Allah. So here you have Ibn Atta'illah, and he makes a statement, and he says there is nothing beyond the letter of the law. Because he sees Abu Abbas, Abu Abbas al Mursi preaching in Alexandria and having a big gathering, so he re he preaches the opposite, and he said there is nothing beyond the letter of the law, right? And then he goes in on the first majlis. He lays eyes on Abu Abbas al Mursi, right. and the nur touches his heart, just as the Quran says, right. Is the one who's dead, is he like the one who has a light in his heart and he walks with that light into the hearts of others, uh, into the people? And, and the testimony of Ibn Atta'illah is that he walked into the mosque of Abu Abbas al Mursi while he was given a class, a dars, 
right? And he immediately, the nur penetrated his right. heart. There right? you go. And he became his disciple. Right. And he wrote the Hikam, wow. the great book, the Hikam. Yeah. Right. So, you know, both of these points about, you know, Islamic school, public school, I don't really want to make it about that. But my point was that there is certain core knowledge, right, that is extremely important to have. Right. right? And if, let's say you had an Islamic school that was grounded in the fundamentals of learning Akida and fiqh and what's going on there and what are the problems that people are going to encounter and and you know everybody was upon the truth I mean that'd be like a utopian Islamic school right, right. like everybody there's not the same type of you know secular public school problems in Islamic school you don't have those issues let me ask you a question just on Akida what if you have a kind of masjid environment where it's not all Ash'ari Maturidi or it's not all Salafi? Is there enough you can take out of from like even Akita Tahawi or something like that that this is so critical to know, right? Even if you're not going to go into, let's say, like a, um, you know, rational knowledge or rational proofs or anything like that. Because I, I, I find that they don't, they don't even go into like Akita Tahawi. There's... They don't know what to believe. Yeah. Like, For, firstly, like, let me just clarify. Some people imagine Aqidah Tahawiyah to be just a list of things to believe. But they don't realize that it's the collection of things, of things that carry enough evidence that is required for a Muslim to know, right? right to be a Muslim, right? And to be a Sunni. And when we say to be a Sunni, just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you're being a doctor correctly. Right. Right. You could be dis, uh, uh, You could get your uh, uh, certification withdrawn. What do they call it? Mal- uh, dis- like we know that a lawyer gets disbarred, yeah. right? Disbarred. Right. When 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 a doctor. What is it when a doctor gets stripped of his ability right. to practice? Right. Uh, so loses his license. I think loses his license. Loses his license. Right. So likewise, to be a Muslim, there is. One way to be a Muslim. There, there are certain ways that required to be a Muslim, right? So that's what makes someone a Sunni. That's the term that, and all of that is collected in Aqidah Tahawiyah, right? Aqidah Tahawiyah is meant for that purpose. So, what is a Muslim, and what is a Muslim who's doing it right in terms of matters of belief? And I think that book, if it's taught well, and it's systematized, okay, and you add to it simple texts like Ibn Ashr or the Kalam cosmological argument, which is somewhat in Ibn Ashr, right? right? You can say he talked about Dawr with Tasalsul. Right. That to me at least is a level one foundation. Right. It is a strong, but if it's explained properly. Right. If you just memorize the lists, maybe right. not. It's got to be explained properly. And to a degree, at Sorry, least Dr. in the high school level, actually, you know I think that they should be taught um, what they're going to expect. What, I think they should be taught philosophy. They should be taught the argument. They should be shown and taught the arguments of atheists. Right. And responses, right? Because if you're any any good military, for example, you throw everything at your soldiers. Right. You don't wait for them to see it in the real in the battlefield. Right. You actually have to the the way you train them is to throw more at them in the training uh, time period of time than in the uh, that they're going to see ever going to see. And one of my friends told me that he was in the Marines. And that one of the things that they would do is they would have them do drills all day from 5 a.m. to like 1 a.m. Wow. Right, wow. Then sleep. Then at 3 a.m., oh. a new group comes in with a raid. And they would come in with certain types of uh, uh, guns that wouldn't like pierce the skin. But it would give you a black and blue, right? And they would come in on a raid and do a raid, literally. Raid them, fight them, beat them up. And this is, imagine, after... 
over 15 hours, 16 hours of training how tired you are. And then, you know, when you're in deep sleep and then you get that rude awakening. And he was like, that was the Marines, right? So stuff that, I mean, is the worst possible attacks. And one of the foolishness of Kaiser Wilhelm in World War One, I, I think I told you this guy last time, but when they would do these uh, these practice uh, wars, yeah, then they had the Royal Army, right, and the Royal Army would train a an army to attack them, and they would have these fake wars in a certain territory, certain areas of land, right. Well, Kaiser Wilhelm said in these war games, I have to make sure that the Royal Army wins. And it's like what? <laughs> It's like, that's how immature. Right. You just shouldn't care about that. You should just care that your people are getting trained. Right. So if it's, uh, pro- ed- education, if theologians, theologians were teaching from seventh grade to 12th grade, then they would be equipped that in 11th and 12th grade, it would be all uh, polemics. Right. All the polemics that are between the atheists and, and Muslims. Right or theists. I'm going to uh, counter that once again because this is a, a something that a lot of uh, folks say today that you know we need to you know stop against the like brutal attack of the atheists. I'm sorry, like we're not dealing with like Friedrich Nietzsche and you know David <laughs> Hume. We're dealing with like clowns like Sam Harris. These are not attacks. Yeah, but to like, an ignorant person, it might as well be. Perhaps, that's, that's more, perhaps if, to an ignorant person, it might well be. But you know what the thing is? We end up dumbing down our religious education yeah. by saying that, oh, you know, there's these brutal attacks and we need to learn like Kalam arguments. You're not learning Maturi Creed or Ashari Creed when you're learning uh, the Tahawi. Like, I'm sorry, that's not, you know, like falsafa. You're not learning any philosophy <laughs> at that that's point. True. Well, right? that's, that's, <laughs> that's your doctrine, right? That's just... That's doctrine. Uh, yeah, doctrine learn- is transmitted creed. Right? Yeah, it's like someone dialectical is- theology is something different. Exactly. I, I, th- I think your point is you don't need to bring out the big guns to deal with it. You just the, need a cursory uh, knowledge. You need cursory the- knowledge to deal with 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 uh, most of the attacks right. today. Let right? me let me tell you what I feel that these. Uh, if you want to get real uh, in depth with these arguments, what they are is a chess match, right? right. It's a chess match and. You never stop. And this is one of the things that you, anyone who studied philosophy will know. Yeah. You'll never stop going back and forth, just like a chess match, right? But if you know four or five moves, that's pretty much 99% what you'll ever use. Right. Very few people you'll meet in life will be able to take you with six and seven moves, right. right? So in philosophy, if you know like one answer, like one quick response to a question, let's say, right. um, then that'll you'll be able to deal with 60% of humanity, right? right? If you know two, you'll deal with 85% of humanity. Only a f- small group of people can actually go with you three, four steps back and forth, right? That's what it is. I mean, now, especially the way we get taught Islamic education, it's like trying to play chess with checkers pieces, yeah. right? Um, it, it's like, uh, let's... Uh, and, and that's where when you say, you know... Uh, a lot of times we say it's like, okay, we need to bring out the big guns. But unfortunately, that ends up scaring people to say it's like, oh, we got to learn like Kalam arguments. We got to learn, you know, uh, all this philosophy. It's like we can't expose our kids to those those things yet. It's like 
we're not asking, you know, people to learn, you know, the depths of like, yeah. you know, philosophical. Well, logic, like Alex said, to, like we're not asking that. Like right? last, last <laughs> month or two weeks ago, what Alex said was logic. And this is what the scholars say, too. And, and even in uh, uh, Western philosophy, what there, there are discussions on logic is that this is self-evident. Yes. Logic is a self-evident science, right? That uh, you realize, oh, I just didn't realize I was making that logical right. error, right? The study of logical fallacies is the study of common sense, That's but sharpens what it is. and you pay a little bit more attention and then you're not making these mistakes anymore. So, you know, to a degree, this stuff, it even can be learned, a bulk of it can be learned off the internet, right? Yeah. You don't need like training right. in these things. I think one of the problems also is just parents, I, I personally think every parent should want their kids to become more knowledgeable than themselves. And I think what we see is that oh they'll never be as knowledgeable knowledgeable as I am and do people as really long as they say do the that? base. It's a terrible parent. Like, no, really. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, like, it's like people, I don't like, want my kid to be more the knowledgeable. The expectation than me. there is that you just want them not to like leave Islam and just hold on to their religion. Oh, yeah. It's a very low expectation. Oh, oh, you kids. mean that way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so I mean, I everybody, should, I think everybody should aim high for their kids. This is just a part of it, and I think that will translate then into better. Uh, schools, yeah. because if the parents don't want anything, like, oh, I just read a little Quran and memorize yeah. a few surahs. Okay, that's what you're gonna get, right? And you have this whole spectrum of kids, and then you, you know, a lot of Islamic schools, but they're 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 going for numbers. They're going for more students. So they don't want to scare students away. Well, here's here's one of the things that I that always comes between people and religious education is this confusion between we want them to we want to educate them and we want them to love the deen. There's a confusion in that, right? Because that becomes, we want them to love the deen, becomes a, a, a tool I think Shaitan uses to de-emphasize education. Mm-hmm. And I would I'd say the opposite, right? I would say the opposite. I say, and I explain it to them. When I teach young kids, I tell them, listen, and like my own kids, let's say hypothetically, right? I'm teaching you this and I'm making you study this, right? Because this is as important as going to school and studying math. Right. As sleeping early, as eating food, as drinking water, as having manners, right? Yes. And this is something that you have to be patient with. Right. Because when you grow older, you'll realize the value of this. So right. whenever you give people tools, the chances are if they've learned this, this, this deen, they memorize well, they know tajweed, they know their fiqh, they will, when they grow up and realize what they do understand and know, they'll love it even more than if you were just fuzzy. Oh, you want to take a break? Okay, let's take a break. <laughs> right, I mean, let's tell a story instead of studying like the the, the conditions of traveler's prayer, right? right? Or how to pr- pronounce tajweed properly, right? How to recite with tajweed properly? They'll say, "Well, let's make them love the dean." So let me just tell them a story. <laughs> I mean, this is going. This is so naive. Right. It's like if you love your kids, you better study that math because I, and you need to be something when right. you grow up. You better learn to read, right? right, so that you can be something when you grow up. Why is it that you your love Right is expressed that way, right? But in matters of Dean, you just want to tell a story. You're afraid he's going to run away. I'm telling you, look, the more you learn, the less afraid I am you're going to run away. Right. Because you're going to see the meat and potatoes of this Dean and love it. Right. And I haven't seen anyone, very rarely I should say, that they learn Dean well and haven't fallen in love with it. Right? Yeah. It's just something that fits together so perfectly. And on top of that, there's action to be had upon it. Right. And one of the things I hated growing up is not having a clue what the imam is saying. <laughs> I hated this, right? And I went to Mecca, and when I studied with Sheikh Abdul Rahman, Wilsidi Muhammad, 
and Sheikh Mohammed Mamoun in Medina, and uh, Sheikh Abdul Aziz Al Mali, who was very popular uh, from from Mali, uh, Abdul Aziz Al Mali in Mecca, right? And I thought to myself when I was at that point, I was like, I am so done with being ignorant, right? I need to know every chapter in fiqh. Like, there's not cannot be a discussion on zakah that I, I'm is going over my head. There cannot be a discussion on i'rab that's going over my head. I'm so done with this ignorance, right? right? And I went in that summer and attacked it, right? Day and night until I've uh, done so much, I got dehydrated actually. Ended up in the hospital because it was just not drinking, not eating, not drinking, not sleeping. And the, the, the this is what gives you love of deen. So if you want your kids to love deen, you educate them in deen, right? right? And you don't be mean about it, but you don't lower the standard. Like I never be mean with deen. Right. If I ever lose my temper, don't be mean with Dean. Don't be mean don't with Dean. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, let's say I'm reading Quran and good the kids time. are making a noise, right? And I just keep, lose my temper. Tell them to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go back to the Quran, right? It's not a good look. They're gonna remember the guy reading Quran flipped out, right? <laughs> so I put the book down and I walk away, right? I put the book down. Because this is not a good look. Do, do they do it in Egypt? Do they do what the Pakistani movies do? Like if you no, make a mistake, they they'll go cock. No, they nobody, don't nail you nobody does no what does the Desi movies do. <laughs> I'm never mean about Dean, right? But I'm serious. Yeah. Like and I'm and I take the explanations. Look at when we do Aurad of the evening, I expect you to do the Aurad because this is gonna be gonna benefit you. Right? Sure. So I think the standard we have to take is not be mean about it. And not be, uh, but not lower the standard. Right. And in order to do so, the parent himself or herself must be educated. So educate yourself. Find a way. If you have to travel once a week to someone, once a month, right. do not allow yourself to be ignorant. This is the worst thing, and it's going to destroy generations on end by one ignorant person. Right. I was thinking of Qadiani, right? How many people, how many years now has it been? How many generations? What's the silsila? Of fathers to grandfathers, back to the original people who followed him down that that abyss. How many generations now you can? How many are there, by the way? Like, like two, million? maybe three. Three oh, generations? Oh, no, no, no. oh, I thought you meant generations. How many million? Like, well, I don't know. So three generations. So one man of evil and ignorance. Look how he, how many people he took. He's not taking just those people down. Those people and their offspring. Yeah. Whereas scholarship, imagine a scholar, what he can do and forget scholarship, just basic knowledge, right? right? So you transmit that to your kid while he's in your roof now, he'll transmit it to his kid and so on and so forth. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Even just you knowing enough for yourself and your kids that can impact hundreds of people. And and even parents, uh, if you want to know parents that get respected, it's parents who demand, who have, who are demanding, right? Demanding, but not mean. Mean is horrible. I hate mean people. Right. And I hate arrogant people. But right. demanding people, I love. Right. right? And, and I had some, some easygoing teachers. I don't remember anything. Right? I had some demanding teachers. Right. And I have to, all the good memories are from that. Yeah, really. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think um, there needs to be from a... I don't li- personally don't like to separate um, religious knowledge from secular knowledge. Everything is... Uh, you know, ilm at the end of the day, it's all, you know, there is, all of it's important, right? So, but the one thing that, that I don't like, and it's a problem nowadays, uh, which is this strong emphasis on worldly knowledge, right? And a high, and a, and a lack of emphasis when it comes to dini knowledge, right? Um, 
uh, or, or knowledge of like, you know, the Quran, text, these types of things. Uh, and, a, and a big example that comes to mind is I, I was tabling uh, last Ramadan for, you know, the Mauritania Relief Foundation. And um, I was actually at uh, a masjid in this area, somewhere near East Windsor. Uh, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think I know that one, yeah. So what happened? Don't so, judge us by one person. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, and while I'm tabling there, you know, uh, uh, a person comes up, a lady comes up, and she says, you know, to us, uh, uh, we were showing a video of, you know, kids, you know, doing their hifth in uh, in Mauritania, right? And these kids are uh, in Mauritania; they're they're becoming scholars, yeah, right? These are they, there's these these kids probably know more philosophy and and, and uh, you know <laughs> stuff than like you yeah. know a, a high school philosophy students. These are like twelve year olds, right? And but what she says is, you know, look at these you know, look at these kids, you know, like they're 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 hungry. They're poor. Shouldn't they be going to school? And like we're watching a video of these kids doing hif. These are like you know the probably like in the in this desert of Mauritania, like the greatest scholars on the earth, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some of right. right. So, and, and well, which tell, goes to when you study Ashari theology, it forces you to study logic, right? Yeah. So and and, and so you're not going to be a dummy when you're. You're at definitely the end of the not day. a dummy, yeah. right? Um, but it's like it's like this immediate reaction to say that. You know this knowledge of like the Quran and 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 Hadith and you know Dini knowledge. This is the knowledge. Yeah. Right. Everything else is secondary. Yeah. Right. When it comes to th- yeah. those things are important, like history, the liberal arts, um, you know, science. All of these things are extremely important. I don't downplay those things. I think. But, yeah. but as Imam Ghazali says, right, learn your Dean, learn learn those elements of the Dean first, because otherwise you will go astray. Well. So his point about like the lower strata are traditionally were the ones that go into the madrasas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So people who come from the subcontinent, that's their worldview in terms of like you have to be pursuing medicine or engineering and then you can just study on the side. Okay, one imam's fine, right? But then like <laughs> it's just for them it's that was considered I guess the lower standards of society. Well, right? one of the things that uh, study of usul and fiqh do to a person is and, and dialectical theology is that they teach you how to think. Yeah. If you were not that bright, by the exposure of the legal debates, yeah. exposure to the legal debates and theological debates of the scholars, you become sharp. Right. So sharpness is not, if, it's, if it wasn't within you genetically, right? if it wasn't natured, right? then it's going to be nurtured right. by studying the madhahib, usul, and uh, theology, right. dialectical theology and studying the back and forths. Right. So if you're not naturally smart, intelligent, then don't know how to think, this will sharpen you. Right. The only thing that those people that say in the backwaters of the, of the earth, like Mauritania or something like that, right? The only thing that they don't have is that they're not caught up on the modern trends right. of thought. That's yeah, it. That's it. So they might not be, they might not know what a CDO is, right? You know, right. The most Americans won't know what a CDO is. What right? is that? Collateralized debt obligation. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a, uh, invented words <laughs> by Wall Street. Yeah. And even the Wall Street people themselves, you know what they call it? Trading paper. Because mm. you're just making up yeah. words and you trade those words. It's that's a all you do. synthetic product, it's called. Because it's not even product. a real thing. It's, it's not just, even a real thing. It's, 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 a, it's made Oh, that's like from that one movie. I remember I saw it. Uh, big sh- uh, the, the Big movie. Short. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Big Short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, it's it's very true, right? They, not, there's not yeah. they don't have knowledge about uh, 
unnecessary worldly yeah, things. Yeah, and, and by the way, if no you matter. brought him over here, though, to live into this is your new home, you think he's not going to get caught up? No, take him like a week. Yeah, <laughs> well, Sheikh Rami had raised a good point, too, that you need some people who are dedicated towards that. They're, not everybody's going to be involved in everything, right? Yeah. So you need people who, you know, maybe they're not uh, pursuing a career which they can sustain themselves. And they need yeah. some, you know. Uh, well, what I love about the, um, uh, the, the scholars of the cities, like Damascus, Cairo, uh, Baghdad, is that they are caught up and they could sure. discuss the trends. Right. Because that's, that is important if you want to appear to someone who doesn't re- appreciate your scholarship. So someone doesn't appreciate your scholarship, then you have to appear to him like you know what you're talking about. Right. You have to appear to him that you know his game. Yeah. So the scholars of Cairo, Damascus, and the big cities, they all do yeah. get caught up now with the internet and everything. It's easy to catch up, right. to, be, to be aware of all trends, right? Uh, and they are aware of these trends. And I remember Sheikh Yaqubi's father, uh, Sheikh Yaqubi told us one time, uh, way back in 1999, that uh, he said, my father studied every philosophy in the book, right? So that was, in their time, the awareness of these trends were by reading those books. Today it would be, uh, you can't wait for something to be published. It's too long, right? <laughs> the publishing lag is way too long. You have to be online and catch up with trends. Right. right. So, so do you <laughs> teach lo- do you teach logic in your Oilam? Monta? Yeah. We just did a whole not, podcast on yeah. that. Yeah. We did no, a I mean like a, like, oh, a, like, like a not not as a cl- the class uh, on Monta. If you ever do I definitely want to take yeah, that. But yeah, but yeah, aren't not you, a full class. Aren't you a on developer? Monta. Aren't you a developer? Did you you never took like discrete structures or Yeah, I did. That's like basically just like, read enough to you know, That's enough by. like uh Symbolic <laughs> logic. Sheikh Hamza's class too, Karamali. Sheikh Hamza Karamali. Oh, you took Sheikh Hamza Karamali's class. How many class, lectures? Yeah. How many hours were uh, on Montuk? I think it is twelve, probably twelve. 12 Just Montuk. Yeah, purely Montuk. Yeah. So how does he structure it? Um, just the definition of the terms, I'd say, for like the first four or five, and then getting into. Uh, that's the thing. I've already forgotten it. <laughs> I haven't taken it more than. Yeah. Uh, Six after, months ago. After oh a certain gosh. point, yeah. I feel like it just it just turns into like well, things, semantics. Uh, um, so I mean, as long as people you know get like the basic yeah, concepts, so, oh, yeah. As long yeah, as you get the on basic that, understood yeah. concepts. Yeah. I, I, I remember when I when I uh, got went to some of these courses, I was so intimidated by the title of the course yeah. and the and the books. And then when the lecture is actually explaining the the stuff, I'm like, that's it. Oh yeah, morphology sounds yeah, so scary. I know. I know. And then he's like giving the lecture, and I'm like waiting and waiting for the huge <laughs> thing that I don't understand. And I'm like, this is it, right? Oh yeah. The word is, is the title it markets it as if it's some yeah. you know c- complicated thing. For me, that happened with usul and thick because yeah. I was like, this sounds so complicated because oh, like a scholar's yeah. usul and thick, and then like yeah. not that I know it by any stretch of the but like you know I took an intro yeah. course to it in Al Salam, and I was like, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's it's with a lot of things yeah. where you go. Any if anybody works in the corporate world, right. people say things that are pure gibberish. Oh, absolutely. Right? Oh, yeah. and we'll talk. By yeah. design, right? It it's like, oh, you know, complex. we, you know, we, we, we need to, you know, uh, collateralize yeah. these deliverables, and, 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 and <laughs> well, exactly in the in yeah. Wall Street, they uh, they they dress up their ideas in terms so that the rating agencies 
yeah. don't even know what they're saying. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and, and it's just like uh, smoke and mirrors. It, it's all it is. Smoke so it's a good mirrors. segue into, into Alex's theory on intelligence. I'm just gonna read it here because yeah. it was pretty funny. He posted it on the group. Yeah. So he said, uh, you know, he has an intelligence theory, and uh, this is a little bit kind of sarcasm as well. So don't you know, people listening, don't take it as a you know de facto fact or something. But he's like, there's there's three types of basic smart. There's three types of uh, basic intelligent people. There's the dumb smart people. There's the smart dumb people, and there's the smart people, right? Smart smart. The smart. The, well, there's the dumb dumbs, and then the smart smarts, right? Okay. So starting from the top, the smart smarts. This is like the Aulia and the Ambia, right? They're intelligent and they're you know deeply knowledgeable of right. things. You're talking about street smart. And street book smart, smart right. book smart, everything smart, smart, smart. You yeah. know, no, no, but that's, that's spiritually like the, smart, spiritually and, smart. That's the Oliya yeah. and the MBA, right? The dumb dumbs, right? They're like the Kawadage, the like literally the Kawadage people yeah. who believe that, like, you know, there are like fox gender yeah. uh, people who believe in I had fox. To tell a funny kin. story about that yeah. after this. <laughs> so the crazy people. liberals, the crazy extremists, those are the dumb dumbs. Yeah. Then you have the dumb smarts. These are people who are good at complex things, uh-huh. but they don't get nuance and are generally guileless. I'm just reading like Alex's. the big picture. They miss the big. So picture. these are yeah. So, Give me an example. Well, they get complex things. So professionally, Alex says these are generally <laughs> these are generally either doctors, engineers, or liberal yeah. li- or or liberal arts types. So and these these are people who do basically what my dentist calls it. Um, uh, High tech laborers, basically. Pretty much. You basically pretty much. Got la- it's just like a bricklayer, but your bricklaying takes like 50 steps. Yeah. For right. me, it's like Sudoku. It's like, oh, that looks really complicated, but you figure it out the way to do it and then you yeah. just keep doing it. It's like, yeah. That's so, it. Thinking. so there's a, so those are the dumb smart people, which is okay. you know intellectually they're academic like like smart as in they're academically very inclined, right? They become but lawyers, they miss the big picture. They become uh, engineers, yeah. doctors. Alex didn't say lawyers in there, but I'm gonna throw that <laughs> in there as well. Uh, he said if religious, they're either Salafi leaning, yeah, or they're goofy. Okay, you're either one or the other, <laughs> right? All right. Uh, the smart dumbs, right? So these are the the more street smarts people, yeah. but they lack a certain uh, self awareness and are incurious, right? They're yeah. like Wall Street traders, yeah. pharma yeah. sales reps, or politicians. Yeah. These tend to be soft Salafis or yeah. light Sufi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love what he said. Uh, uh, they're the traders, right? Because yeah. traders are like that. If you think about that, people who are merchants and and traders and businessmen, to me. They they possess what physicians can't even dream of possessing, of instinct, right? right? And an understanding of how the world really works, yeah. right? They get the big picture. But if you sit down with them and you actually try to have a conversation with them, you realize this guy is really dumb, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the instinct, though. Right? Yeah. And I remember my first, I, I got sort of a crash course on the real estate developers. Yeah. New York real estate developers, they're all like this. Like you would think at the top floor of one of these glass buildings sits one of the wisest, you know, uh, people in the world. You get there and the guy who owns the building is one of these smart dumbs. Like he is so he has the guts, instinct and awareness of how the world works. Right. But he I think he goes beyond that. Wall Street traders are like that. Surprisingly, a lot of former athletes from high school, not to say the athletes are dumb, but. 
I'm no, because it's it's guts. It's taking risks, and it's, it's actually uh, what's it called? Though? If you what's it called? Chutzpah or what's it called? Chutzpah, got, whatever it's called. <laughs> well, it's also that if you were smart enough, yeah. you would not take this risk. <laughs> right? It's only because you fail, you lack the ability to Selection calculate bias. The ones who succeed. If, <laughs> it, it, it's, exactly it's, it. If you lack, you lack the capability to calculate the consequences, <laughs> and therefore, right, you took this leap. <laughs> so you're the smart dumb. So they're soft salafi. And believe it or not, if if I'm gonna pick one, if it's not smart smarts, I would probably take smart dumbs. Well, right? there, well, there's well, there's well, there's one bef- below smart smarts, which is just regular smart. Who so is the, that? So so smart smarts, you don't achieve that. That's the aulia, the ambia. Like yeah. you, you don't get that. But there's the smart, which is you know a combination between the two. They're book smart and street smart. Outwardly intelligent and introspective. They're neither shy nor boorish. Uh, and Islamically, they're usually conservative traditionalists. Oh, okay. Tariqa, but okay. only after Sharia. Yeah. Right? Good. So no Gufia, no right, hardcore okay. Salafia. So, uh, That's your Ashadi scholars. It, well, I'm not going to say Ashadi scholars, but just. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> See, this is what I love about Ashadi scholarship. I have to be balanced here uh, as the host. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Khwaraj, one of the funniest stories I ever read was. Uh, when uh, Sayyidina Ali, when they were like, you did not judge by the Quran. Yeah, and unbelievable. Like, bring out the Mus'haf. Unbelievable. Right? <laughs> so they bring out the Mus'haf and he's like, speak. Yeah. <laughs> no, what is it? Judge. <laughs> That's and they're looking at him like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's like, you want to judge? You want the Quran to judge? Judge. <laughs> and unbelievable. Like, yeah. And I'm telling you, whenever these people rule the Ummah and they have the dominant say, oh the Ummah gets stunted. And the reason Khawarij came out in the time of the Prophet, in the time of the Sahaba, is to show the Muslims forever through history that we're showing you now, even if your leader is Uthman and Ali, right. they will stunt your growth. Yeah. And Sayyidina Ali couldn't do anything there as long go. as they were around. They were stunted everything with their stupidity <laughs> and their <laughs> imagination of their piety. And, and Abbas, Ibn Abbas, when he went there, radiallahu anhumah, he went there and he saw that their knees were all calloused mm-hmm. from so much prayer. Right? Wow. But they had no fuqaha. They had no actual scholarship. They were just literalists. Wow. So, um, yeah, we're hitting a a good amount of time. So let's uh, wrap it up. Any last final comments? A last couple definitions that some people, they always, when when we say the word secular, they don't, they might not, they might think more like separation of church and state. Whenever I say the word secularization, what I mean by that is the definition of something or the determination of a thing without recourse to divinity and sanctity, right? To this, to to sacred law or to divine guidance. That's how I use the word secular, right? Uh, also, whenever someone uses the word liberal, we use the word liberal in a similar fashion. The de- de- uh, determination of morality without recourse to uh, any sacred law or divinity. Right? And lastly, when when I say the word literalism, what's an example of literalism? The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Sibab al-Muslimi fusuqin wa qitalhu kufr." The killing of a Muslim is fusuq, is major sin, or like uh, profligacy, and his killing him is kufr. So uh, why is literalism a problem? Because the literal reading of that would mean that he's a murtad. The murderer should not be buried with Muslims, right? And he will never ever go to heaven, right? But the Prophet ﷺ defined kufr, the kafir, in a different way. So there, this hadith seems to contradict with other hadith. Don't we know that the one who killed 100... 99, then 100, then he went to heaven. So how is then Qatar kufr? 
So this, there, this forces a person. When two texts come together, it forces you to do something called fiqh, which right. is to truly understand right. the meaning. And when the Prophet Sallallahu says, kufr in this one, he doesn't say he's a kafir. He says, it means kufr, it means, Imam al says, means the behavior is so bad, it is like the behavior of disbelievers. So that's an example of where literalism is so destructive, right? right? Because if based upon that false reading, the literalists and the kharijites would imagine that the murderer, one who commits murder, will never be saved and is a kafir and a murtad and yeah. an apostate. It's also an example of understanding, you know, rhetoric, right? Which is exactly understanding yeah. the speech of you know the Arabs at the Correct. time and and, and how you know certain things were hyperbole, certain Correct. things were not, certain yeah. things what had different meanings, yeah. right? It's understanding yeah. how people spoke. It's well, amazing right? so, when I go into Imam al Nawawi, and knowing that so many literalists quote Imam al Nawawi, how many times Imam al Nawawi explains a prophetic hadith as mubalagha, exaggeration, yeah. such as when the Prophet wasallam said in this famous hadith that they like to use to sow doubt in Muslims, they say that the Prophet wasallam passed by some of the women and they were talking and he overheard them. Right. And he said, no one is more, uh, uh, more than you or less than you in intellect and religion, right? right? And Imam al he says, as for religion, it's because someone, a sahabi asked him, how are they less in religion? She said half the time she's not praying, right? What he means by that is when she has her monthly cycle, which is not her problem, right. her fault, right? She doesn't pray, right? And as for his statement that they are uh, deficient in intellect, that is exaggeration. He means about right. that comment, right. right? That specific comment. So it goes to show you that literalism, if you don't have the sense right. to gather all the evidence and explain things properly, you could lead so many people astray, right? Yeah. right? And you have a total misunderstanding of the Prophet But then if, he, if that's the case, why would he say, take a half your deen from this little red-haired one, Sayyidah Aisha. Half your religion comes from her, right? Without her, how many hadiths would we be missing? How many rulings would we be missing? Not just hadiths that she transmitted, the several thousand, but her fatwas are fiqh for us, right? So she has fatwa on aqidah. She has fatwa on fiqh. Right, so there you go. And also, just the ability to hold multiple facts in your head and defer judgment until you gather yeah, all the evidence. That's a that's yeah. another problem. And even is, realizing yeah. that your yeah. conclusion is a perspective. Yeah, it's unbelievable when people say, "Well, the Quran says this," so I'm not. It's like you you don't realize that you just made a method took like three methodological steps right. to arrive at that conclusion. Right. And one of the, the best ones that someone said to one of these literalists is, let's debate only with the Qur'an and the Hadith. All right, step one, define for me from the Qur'an and Hadith only the meaning of a Sahih Hadith. The five conditions yeah, of a Sahih Hadith right. okay. just from Qur'an and Hadith. Right? There you go. You right. can't. Or, or how can you, you know, uh, reconcile contradicting Hadith or know yeah, what's, 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 what's stronger, what's weak, yeah. what's, you know, uh, there's lots of different things, right? It's, so, I mean, yeah. it's just, uh, but I don't want to go off on a tangent, so... Um, yeah. Uh, I do want to wrap it up. Before we wrap up, I have one uh, point I'm going to say out there. Um, so, uh, they a lot of marketing folks they say that if you ever want something, you should just come out and directly ask. So uh, this is me asking. We have a Patreon account um, that uh, if you're listening to this podcast or if you have benefited from this podcast. Uh, I'm going to ask you after this podcast is over, go to www.patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash S-S podcast and, uh, you know, do support the podcast. So 
uh, marketers say that you should just come out right, outright and ask you and also take out your What's wallet. What's wrong with that? Uh, you know, make a, a, a one to five dollar donation. Um, the people that are running the podcast and Safina Society, um, you know, ninety nine percent of Safina Society is like you know volunteer basis. You know, alhamdulillah, lots of people put in a lot of time and effort. Um, you know, all of our equipment, all of our uh, expenses, materials, things like that, you know, do come out of our own pockets. And, mm-hmm. you know, it would, uh, you know, for all the people listening that have benefited, you know, please do support us on our Patreon account. On the Patreon account, by the way, if you reach certain levels of rewards, um, there are certain things that, that we will do. So I think like uh, one, $1 is, is just, uh, you know, you don't really get any physical thing. Uh, but I think if you, if you donate $10, um, Alex will. Uh, if Send you the do, lollipop. No, so uh, if you do a ten dollar, it's a monthly recurring donation. So if you do a ten dollar monthly recurring donation, uh, Elias will do a uh, a ten minute book recommendation, and uh, uh, I think there's a, another small reward on there um, for I think uh, twenty five dollar. I don't know the exact thing. Twenty dollars. Uh, uh, Elias will do, you'll get Elias's book recommendation, and then Saad and I will do a small breakdown of uh, some some different back end. Uh, tech discussions and, and how they affect uh, the ummah and the deen. And then there's also a 10 minutes behind the scenes that we'll give you of maybe a, a, an episode that we didn't release. And then I think if you get $100, uh, I forget what the what the thing is, but I think it's just you don't get anything. You get a dua, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you're giving $100, you don't need anything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think you get all of the above, plus uh, you know uh, we'll be very thankful. So do check that out uh, right as soon as you end. If you're not driving, go to patreon.com slash sspodcast uh, and do donate, um, uh, inshallah, and support us. All right. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Please like, subscribe, and share. I never, ever say that, but I should start (laughs) saying that. Um, So thank you, guys. Uh, As-salamu alaykum. It was a pleasure. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruku wa natubu ilayk wal asr inna al-insana lafi khus. إلا الذين أمنوا من الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر والسلام